I was working side by side with or mentoring or teaching or precepting. And it was using teachable moments to mentor without rules or without calling it mentorship. And so I decided to implement as part of an independent teaching project, a personal motto that for the rest of my professional career, I would practice what I teach in order to teach what I practice. What's it like to have a nursing career steeped in pediatrics, pediatric oncology, and the practice of mentoring and being mentored by others? Let's talk all about it with Cindy Schmoos, pediatric nurse practitioner, clinical faculty member, and member of the editorial board of the journal Pediatric Nursing, right here on episode 402 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hello there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you and your personal professional development, your nursing career, and the healthcare system in the bigger picture. And I'm here to share education, diatribes, ideas, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people out there. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. If you'd like to help other people find the show, you can consider doing me a solid, leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or just share it with anyone you care to share it with. And you can consider becoming a monthly patron for as little as $2 a month at patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash nurse Keith. That little bit that some listeners give every month is an incredible value for me helping to keep this show on the air. I appreciate you all so much. Thanks for listening in. Thanks to my reviewers and patrons, my hat's off to you in gratitude. Please head over to nursekeith.com to the drop-down menu showing podcasts where you can find the show notes for this episode. You can also find them on any podcast app or at healthpodcastnetwork.com. So as I mentioned, we are here with Cindy Schmoos, pediatric nurse practitioner, and so many more things coming to us from Philadelphia. And as I mentioned, we're talking pediatrics and pediatric oncology. And Cindy, the very first thing I want to ask you is why pediatric oncology? What really draws you into that particular specialty? Hi, Keith. That's a big question, which probably will lead to a big answer. Okay. And I think right off the bat, I need to be honest and tell you I was not immediately drawn to either pediatrics or pediatric oncology early in my nursing career. Um, I was most likely one of those traditional nursing students who thought I should get my feet wet in medical surgical nursing before jumping into a specialty like pediatrics. And so had no intention whatsoever of doing peds. And I found myself uh, somewhere between my junior and senior year of my undergraduate degree being pushed into an externship which back in the late 80s um, was sort of new. Um, they were new to the city of Philadelphia, only a handful of hospitals, two perhaps that I know of right off the bat, were offering nurse externships. And there was only one pediatric hospital offering it in the city of Philadelphia. And so one of my nursing professors pulled me aside and said, I happen to know the nurse manager on the pediatric oncology unit and she's an alum of our university. 
And I think you should consider interviewing for an externship, which would give you some experience with pediatrics before you head into your final year of nursing school. What I think you're going to find is a theme throughout this podcast is that somehow my career path pushed me constantly through doors that I was afraid to walk through. Hmm. And pediatrics was the first door. And because I feel like I've also been sort of spiritually guided by mentors my entire career, I very graciously listened to the advice of this nursing instructor and went for the interview and was able to secure the nurse the nurse externship and walked into that hospital thinking I'll have a few good months playing with children and caring for children and then head back out to my pre-planned career in adult med surge nursing. And it only took me about one week on that pediatric unit to realize that my passion would be caring not just for a child that was facing an illness, but also their entire family. And I think I knew immediately that what was unique about this specialty is that we're not just taking care of our patient, who is that child, but we're taking care of their caregivers, their families, all of the other people that are affected by the illness that might put them in the hospital. And so I had the pleasure of being able to know that immediately that summer And then also the honor, quite honestly, of being in a specialty like oncology, because it's usually a specialty which either is a calling or people are drawn to it for a personal reason. And for me, I feel that fate put me there and I found that it was a place I wanted to stay after graduation. So that was my very long answer to your opening question, which is it did not start as a calling, but rather a door that I was sort of encouraged to walk through. And that quickly became the beginning of a lifelong career and a lifelong passion for me. That's great. I love stories and I think everyone loves stories and people who listen to this show likely love them too. And that's why they're listening because other people's stories can illuminate our own journey and it can also show us what's possible. And if there's a nursing student listening who feels being like they're being corralled into med surge, you know, and I, I talk a blue streak on this show about how you don't need to do that. If you don't want to, you don't even have to work in acute care. If you don't want to, I, I never have. And I say that over and over again. And you had a certain idea, a certain notion of what you should do and what you would do. And that got turned on its side or at least or on its head. And I think that's, that's great. And you, you, were you had the presence of mind to listen <laughs> and um, kind of go for it because it fell in your lap. And you went on to become a pediatric nurse practitioner, right? I did. And yes. you've, well, another door, another door. Another I did door. not want to walk through it. <laughs> oh, no. How did that door open, pray tell? Well, I found myself practicing at the bedside for a number of years um, as a pediatric oncology nurse, and I loved being at the bedside. And, you know, so many people say, and we still do today, that nurses have to think about their next steps or their next career advancement and advancing their professional journey. And for me at that point in my life, I was really content at the bedside, and I felt that my professional journey could really be enriched 
in the way that I embraced my care and stepped up my game clinically and got involved at both the unit level or the hospital level. And so I really had no intention of ever going back to graduate school. I really intended to just become an expert, boots on the ground, clinically embracing um, what needed to happen 24 hours a day. Um, That's why I became a nurse. And about 10 years in, um, sort of the same thing happened. I had reconnected with people from my student life who I had gotten involved with, which maybe we can talk about a little bit later through the Student Nurses Association. And they pushed me a little bit and said, we understand how much you like the bedside, but you're such a teacher naturally. Have you ever considered taking it to the next level and using your teaching somehow um, as an educator? And you're not going to be able to do that if you don't get an advanced degree. And so I looked around for a while at master's in education and decided instead that I'd take a clinical route because I really loved being a clinician. And so I sought out a pediatric acute care NP program. Um, and I was able to complete that program after 10 years at the bedside, which is longer than most nurses stay at the bedside before they go back and become acute care or primary care practitioners. But for me, it was the time that I needed to really get the foundation that I needed to be a clinical expert. And so was able to get that graduate degree after two years and continue my career in pediatric oncology mm. and specialize yet again. So. There I found myself in peds, thinking mm-hmm. I'd never be with children. I found myself in oncology, not having thought that I would be in such a specialty. And then I come out of graduate school. I've now become certified and licensed as an acute care NP, but I decided to do all of my clinical work and my concentration in pediatric oncology. And so I knew enough to know that if I was going to practice clinically and as, as a nurse practitioner, I wanted to do it in the field that I had just worked. And so went back to the same children's hospital seeking a job as a general oncology NP. And there were, there were no jobs at that time in that specific area. But there was a job in the neuro-oncology division, which is where we care for only children with brain tumors and CNS malignancies, a door I did not want to walk through. Um, These were kids that I found to be our sickest patients. These were families who were devastated by their diagnosis um, the day that they heard it. And I wasn't sure that I had what it took to do a specialty like that. And so I thought, oh, please don't don't make me walk through that door. Mm. That's not one I want to walk through. And I had um, a coworker pull me aside, again, one of many mentors. And she said to me, every patient and family deserves a nurse practitioner as part of their journey. Why shouldn't it be you? Walk through the door and try the specialty out. Try it for a year and see if you like it. And so on I went through, through yet another door and was able to join the neuro-oncology team, and that was 22 years ago. And so I've now been specifically a neuro-oncology nurse practitioner for 22 years of my 35-year pediatric oncology career, and it's been the greatest honor of my life and a wonderful career choice. Wow, that's quite a story, and I hope it's very inspiring to people who are listening. And Already, you've brought up the subject of mentors, and you also mm-hmm. mentioned reconnecting with people from your your school. So, you know what I'm hearing is 
there's networking involved and staying connected with people and reconnecting with people and mentoring. And I love the concept of mentoring and the practice of mentoring. And you told me before that you've had a lot of mentors in your life and you have supported many students in all sorts of aspects of building a career, whether it's getting published, you know, writing or everything else that has to do with nursing. So what is it about first being a mentor that's really important to you? And then we'll talk about being on the receiving end of mentoring. Sure, Keith. I'd love to share my philosophy of mentoring. And then if you if you would allow me, I'd love to tell you my journey and how important it was for me as a student um, to be impacted by people that Please. saw something enough to push me. And hopefully how I'm giving that back in my own career and, and leaving hopefully that type of a legacy. I think the, f- the first mentor was my mother. My mother is also a registered nurse. And so without realizing she was a mentor, I think I just watched her. I watched her. She was a role model. And like all parents, you know, her job as my mother was selfless and unconditional And for me, that really solidifies how I feel about the mentorship relationship. Mm. I think it should be selfless and I think it should be unconditional. Um, And I think when you go into it in a healthy way, neither the mentor nor the mentee are seeking gain on a personal level, but rather seeking the betterment of the other person. And that has been something that I've always kept at the heart of the way that I interact with students now that it should not be about my own personal gain, but it should be about helping that person see the best in themselves. So who better to, to start that for me than my own mother? Hmm. And that, that quickly was impacted by people that soon came into my life during my nursing education. One of those first people um, was a faculty advisor on a group called the Student Nurses Association of Philadelphia, or SNAP. And this faculty advisor, Dr. Judy Erickson, and her colleague, Dr. Carol Weingarten, pulled me aside at a student nurse convention my freshman year at the age of 18 Mm. and said, we're really glad you left school to travel with us to this local state convention. And we think that you should consider running for an office or a board position. And I stood in the back of the room. There were about four to 500 nursing students from all over the state at this meeting, which at the time was in Lancaster, PA. And I remembered thinking, I'm 18. I was in high school a year ago. Hmm. I know nothing about sitting on a board as a student for an organization that's developing ideas and policies and bylaws around students and how they feel about nursing. And I remembered she looked at me and said, knowing it all doesn't mean you need to know it all now. And having it all doesn't mean having it all at once. Hmm. Um, And those words were shared with me by Dr. Caroline Garten, and they stay with me to this day because whenever I feel frustrated that I don't know everything I need to know or that I'm not doing all that I need to be doing, I think back to those words and they really give me encouragement to be patient and kind with myself about the journey. So they were two of my early mentors, and that little nudge led me to walk through the door of fear yet a third time (laughs) that I can mention here, and that was run for an office for something you know nothing about. 
And I ran for an office at that meeting. And I was elected to the board of the Student Nurses Association for the entire state of Pennsylvania, knowing nothing and realizing at my very first board meeting that this journey was only the beginning of a lifelong relationship with the Student Nurses Association Mm. and that I would, in fact, be surrounded by mentors, people that would guide me and lead me and be consultants to me so that I wouldn't make mistakes and that I would know how to carry on the legacy of doing that work. So that was the beginning of the journey for me. Wow. So you've had a lot of um, doors open that you didn't want opened for you. But I had, you know, I think like with everybody else, we have opportunities that we, um, we can look at as either um, hazardous journeys or things we fear Mm -hmm. or, or opportunities for, you know, a journey or a positive pathway. Right. Is it a threat or is it not a threat? Yeah. Right. So you didn't right. see them as threats, which is exactly. very smart. So you have a motto, a personal motto, you told me. I do. And what is that motto? The motto is something I developed in graduate school. And I had a faculty member who knew I wanted to teach. Even though I was in a pediatric acute care program, the whole reason I went back to graduate school is I knew that I loved teaching. And I remembered her name is Dr. Janet Dietrich. And she said, what do you love about teaching? And I said, I love that you don't have to plan for it, that you can use teachable moments to hit the pause button and say, what can we learn in this moment? I do it with families. I do it with patients. And what I found I was doing naturally is I was doing it with nurses that I was working side by side with or mentoring or teaching or precepting. And it was using teachable moments to mentor without rules or without calling it mentorship. And so I decided to implement as part of an independent teaching project, a personal model that, motto that for the rest of my professional career, I would practice what I teach in order to teach what I practice. I like that. I practice what I teach so I can teach what I practice. That's really wonderful. I think that should be on the wall of every <laughs> nursing school classroom and lab and skills lab anywhere we go. I practice what I teach so I can teach what I practice. Well, when we come back from the break, I'd like to talk more about that in terms of being a clinician, an educator, a consultant a member of the Pediatric Nursing Editorial Board at the Pediatric uh, Nursing Journal, and some other aspects of what you've created for yourself over all these decades. So when we come back, we're going to talk about all that and more on the second half of this episode. So please, everyone listening, hang in there. We're here with friend of the pod, Cindy Schmoos, and we'll be back with the second half of episode 402 of the Nurse Keith Show. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague, Cindy Schmoos. Cindy, prior to the break, we were discussing mentorship. We were discussing, gosh, what you said going right when you thought you were going to be going left because people steered you in certain directions, especially mentors. 
So you've been a mentor in many different capacities, clinician, educator, consultant, you know, you've worked with people on so many different levels. And what is it like to be a mentor to advanced practice nursing students? What's, what really lights you up about that? Well, it's been the greatest joy at this point in my career, because when you work with advanced practice nursing students, you're getting the engaged adult learner who is coming on their own terms with their own agenda and their own career paths ahead of them. And they have that passion um, that you're trying to ignite in the undergraduate or the um, you know, the new registered nurse. But at this point, you have nurses who have sort of been in the trenches or have dabbled in different clinical areas and are coming back and saying, okay, this is my passion. Help me explore my passion. Help me de- develop my passion. And so it's, it's easy to mentor them in that way. Um, I do it as a graduate faculty in that I'm there supporting them in an advising role and certainly throughout their curriculum. But because they're in advanced graduate, advanced practice programs, they have different opportunities for graduate um, work that include things like quality improvement projects, um, submitting a manuscript for publication. And I found myself serendipitously on the editorial board of the Pediatric Nursing Journal. And through my involvement, I was able to encourage these new writers to consider submitting their manuscripts to this journal, especially with their passion for pediatrics, because this journal is a place where writers are safe, safely nurtured, and mentored through the editorial process. Um, Our editor, Dr. Judy Rollins, is amazing and really supports new writers in being able to work through some of our editorial recommendations, reviewer suggestions, and it's just a great place to, uh, to think about being a new writer mm. and submitting your first manuscript. And so it's allowed me to encourage them and help them realize that if they can start to write earlier in their career, it can be something that's really embedded into everything that they do. Um, for, my, for me, it's sort of something I'm thinking about now after three decades into my career, have I written enough? Mm. And so using what I've learned as a mentor and saying to my students, uh, don't wait so long to do some of these aspects of professional development, do them now, has been a really important part of what I am proud of as a graduate educator. And that's really good advice you're giving that you don't have to wait in terms of writing an article. You can even write an article on LinkedIn and just publish it there or on Medium. You know, you can start small and then you can work your way up to an academic journal or you can just jump right in, you know, skip the frying pan entirely, right? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I think I suffered a little bit from that myself. Um, I felt that I wasn't ready for many years. I didn't have anything that anybody wanted to hear after only a few months or years at the bedside, that's simply not true. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have something to learn from everyone that we interact with in this profession. And I think the prime example of that for me is one of my most recent mentees, someone who I met when he was 18 years of age through the Student Nurses Association. 
has now flipped the script on me and become one of my mentors and is now giving me advice professionally. And it's been one of the more rewarding relationships that I've had because there is a give and take of selfless suggestion and encouragement. Um, And that was born out of me seeing potential in him. And now he's been practicing and out in the nursing profession for 10 years. And he's seeing things that I perhaps was not even aware that I had yet to fulfill. (laughs) So it's been really a Right. A beautiful relationship. That's really wonderful. And to to watch a mentee grow, I've had that same experience. And then to begin learning from your mentee is a very satisfying circle to have traveled. It's a really wonderful feeling. And in academia, of course, you get to see students blossom before your eyes, either clinically or, you know, in the classroom, which is really lovely. And then out in clinical practice, you can mentor people and be mentored. And then you have this whole writing and publishing part of your career. And you mentioned the Student Nurses Association of Pennsylvania, and you've actually volunteered as a professional consultant to that organization and mentored people in all sorts of ways. What is that like? And is that different than being you know, an academician and a mentor in the clinical space? It is different, Keith. And I'm glad you brought it up because the, the, those types of mentoring relationships, um, while both selfless, are very different. And we come to those relationships on different terms. I think in academia, um, students expect some level of advising and support. Um, sometimes very natural selfless relationships are born out of those first early connections. But with the Student Nursing Association, it's different, and it's completely voluntary. I'm not hired to do that work. Um, I'm not paid to do that work, and I can walk away at any time. And quite honestly, the students can elect not to reappoint me. Um, I can't do it without their appointment. Mm -hmm. And that's what's amazing, that a group of students who aren't yet licensed registered nurses that are at the beginning of their journey are elected to board positions. They gather together in Harrisburg every three months and they sit on a board where they have professional consultants like myself, I am one of two, and we are able to guide them in the workings of the organization and moving the organization forward without getting in their way or interfering in their ideas and their suggestions. And every two years, I'm up for reappointment, and they can decide whether or not to keep me. Um, they, I've been reappointed now going on my 10th year. Hmm, congratulations. Thank you. I'm up for reappointment in June of 2023. Hmm. And so I very enthusiastically hope that I am reappointed, but understand that there may be other people that they'd like to invite to the table of voluntary professional consultant work. But again, I want to stress that what that role entails is me volunteering my time to give back to the student organization in some way, to allow them to realize their potential, think about early involvement in nursing organizations while they're still students. Um, SNAP falls under the umbrella of NSNA, which Mm -hmm. is the National Student Nursing Association. And it's the largest pre-professional association in the country. And to be able to have the chance as a student to just 
get a glimpse into the world of professional organization, um, laid the foundation for me in how to be a leader, how to be a leader at the bedside, on a unit, in my job, um, and also as a nurse each mm-hmm. day with my patients in how to make decisions even. Yeah. It's impacted me in that way. And so to be able to meet students now after three decades of practice and see them at the beginning of their journey, I hope that I can be as impactful on them as my mentors have been on me. I'm sure you can. I'm sure you are. And I want to circle back now. We've talked quite a bit about mentoring and we've talked about this journey of yours. And I want to circle back to pediatric oncology. And you're currently a pediatric nurse practitioner at Children's Hospital Philadelphia, affectionately known as CHOP. And you've been an oncology nurse there for 35 years. And you mentioned earlier, you know, neuro-oncology. And I know you're an expert in chemotherapy supportive care, managing toxicities. And of course, you already mentioned, you know, you're nursing the families, not just the, the children. Correct. So in that particular realm, what what is it about that particular practice that draws certain types of people to it? And what do you look for? in colleagues in pediatric oncology? What do you want to see in them? Well, if someone asked what drew me to this, I'm not sure that I would have been able to identify those characteristics early in my career. I think that they evolved over the course of my career here. But when I get up every day and I come to work in this division, I am surrounded by people who I respect each person more than the next. They are empathetic. They are compassionate. They are kind. They are honest. I get up every day and I come to a place where I feel that I'm surrounded by nurses, physicians, social workers, um, all of our ancillary care members who all know that we have a role to play on the team, Mm -hmm. but that nobody's role is so defined that the lines aren't blurred. And so we just come at it together as a team and we say to each other, what do we need to do to take care of this child and their family today? We do it without judgment and we do it with hopefully kindness and compassion, but we're humans and we all make mistakes. And I think what's kept me here for 30 years is we are honest and transparent with each other. And so I'm very quick, even as recently as last week, to sit up and say to a colleague, I messed that up. I made a mistake. I didn't handle that well. And I get up the next day and I learn from it and hopefully I will do it better. And that's happened to me recently Hmm. um, in caring for a specific patient. I looked back and thought I could have done that better. Perhaps I could have handled that better. And I really want new nurses and nurses that are just choosing to enter this specialty to hear me when I say that, because we can't beat ourselves up. We have to learn from our mistakes and say, when I know better, I'm going to do better. Tomorrow is when that day will be. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to show up tomorrow and I'm going to make some different and better decisions, perhaps even some new mistakes. And I think coming to work with a desire to do the right thing by our patients is what keeps me here. 
And it's what I look for in my colleagues. Hmm. So I heard interesting things that you mentioned here. One was transparency, you know, being transparent with one another. So I'm sure you like when your colleagues can be as transparent with you as you try to be with them. And you also, I'm sure, want people who are fully collaborative and who are like you like you were alluding to, you know, just as interested in serving the patients and families as you are. And, you know, when many of us nurses hear pediatric oncology, myself included, I think, oh my gosh, I could never do that. And it takes a special person, I think, to witness children's suffering and hold that suffering and the suffering of their parents and family members as well. Has that ever been a challenge for you? I'm so glad that you said the last thing that you said, Keith, because it it leads me to something I really want to talk about. Hmm. I just recently said to a friend the other day that I consider my job a privilege most days in that I'm honored to be part of their journey sometimes at the best parts of the journey and often at the worst parts of the journey. And many new nurses will say to me and new nurse practitioners, tell us what to say. Tell us how to help families. Tell us what to say in their moment of sadness or when they hear the worst news possible. And what has helped me is knowing that often it's what we don't say, that it's just being present it's being a witness to what they're going through and just being there with them and being able to honor their journey. And so one of the, the hardest things is to be present when a child um, is not successful at the end of a very long battle with cancer. And someone said to me, how can you continue to do what you do and get up the next day and I've often felt like in that moment, um, there is a moment of, of great spirituality and great quietness where I feel that I am sharing with a family their most intimate moment. And that if I can honor that by going on and helping other families never get to that moment, mm-hmm. um, that will be the greatest gift I can give back throughout the course of, of my career. That's really lovely. You know. There are many joyful things too that happen, Keith, in this journey. And I, I guess I wanted to end on a high note there because yeah. you're right. When you say pediatric oncology to people, I get the same response. Most people will say, how do you do that? You know, it must take a special person. I don't think I'm any more special than any other nurse that's dedicating themselves to whatever area they're working because you still have to get up each day and give yourself to humanity in some way. And so for me, I just happened to, to decide to stay on the course of this journey. And what makes it happy for me is there are as many beautiful, joyful, incredible miracles that happen every day that balance out those sad days. And at the start and the end of every day, what keeps me here is these are children. They're kids. And kids at their core wake up each day and they approach life with joy. They wake up and they see the potential of the day. They don't think about the week, the month, the years ahead, because they really don't have the mindset 
to frame their thinking that way. Right. And so they really cause us as nurses and as advanced practice clinicians to be right there with them in that moment, to be present with them in the moment and not get wrapped up in the what ifs and the what if it doesn't work? What if it does work? Mm -hmm. uh, let's meet that kid where they are in that moment. And that's what's beautiful about pediatrics. And that's what's even more rewarding about pediatric oncology is it's the child that reminds me to stay in the moment and be with them in the moment and not worry about tomorrow. That's beautiful. And thank you. I think here you have another opportunity to be mentored by your patients, namely these children of <laughs> Good point. probably yes. any age, like from a little toddler of four to a pediatric patient who's 19 or 20, right? So I think that's really wonderful and open-minded and spiritually, um, spiritually evolved to be open to such experiences. So I appreciate you sharing that. And it's interesting, Keith. Yeah. If it's okay if I share just one more thought that I had about that. Yeah. There are so many stories that I could share after 35 years, things that I've seen or experienced and things that children have said to me. And um, I don't even know where I would begin or end because mm -hmm. many of those interactions I feel are so sacred that I often choose to keep them to myself because it might be a moment of quietness when a child or their parent said something to me that either help them get through that moment or us get through that moment. But I, I will never forget a four-year-old little boy who was in pain and we were really trying to keep him comfortable and also get him to Disney World with his family. And I was feeling frustrated that what I was doing wasn't working. Mom was feeling a little bit frustrated that they wouldn't get to their trip. And this little four-year-old boy looked up the two of us one day in clinic and he said, I really wish the two of you would stop worrying. I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I thought four years old, the wisdom of this four-year-old in that moment to sort of set us straight and keep us present um, is the one story I did want to share with you. I like that. That's really yeah. a lot wonderful. And before we go, and I really don't want to go, but we're going to have to start to wind down here. I have four questions I ask all of my guests. Are you game for a little lightning round? Of course. <laughs> okay. All right. So the first of those four questions is, how do you define success, either personally and or professionally? I define success as being able to have an impact on people that goes beyond just leaving them with something tangible. Um, and I think the best way to sum up success is going back to yet another quote. People don't care what you know until they know what you care. Shared with me by one of my mentors. Mm -hmm. And that one stayed with me because I thought if I can continue to show everyone that I interact with from patient to parent to my coworkers how much I care, um, then they may care about what it is I have to offer. And that success for me will be that someone seeks my input because they know how much I care. Mm. Lovely. Okay, great. I think that's that sounds really important and close to your heart. So the second question is, and you already mentioned your mom, so maybe it'll be someone else, I'm not sure. Could you name uh, someone who's inspired you in the course of your life, living or dead, famous or not? 
there are so many people that have impacted me over the course of my career. It's very hard to come up with just one person that has in, inspired me. Um, I have to go back to my mom. I'm sorry. I, I know it's cliche, mm. but when you're impacted by so many people who do so much hard professional work, um, I can't help but go back to the person who started it all. Um, her love was selfless. Her encouragement was selfless. Um, but she too approaches every relationship and interaction from a place of um, showing how much she cares. Hmm. And that's her legacy and expects nothing in return. And she went on to practice in various areas throughout her nursing career before she retired. And she retired to take care of my grandmother. And so for me, that makes her someone I admire, that she put her own needs aside to be a caregiver yet again for her own mom. And so for me, um, you know, I hope she will always know that she has guided me. She has been the guiding principle for me in all of my professional interactions as well. Show them that you care so they care what you know. Mm-hmm. And if I can start from that place, it has impacted every other mentoring relationship. So although I'd love to choose 10 other people to mention here, and I easily could, uh, Joan Rich has impacted me the most. Great. Great. And I'm sure she'd be really <laughs> happy that she had such an impact on you. Now, the third question, the penultimate question is there a book or maybe even a movie It doesn't need to be an absolute favorite that's had a major impact in the way you think or the way you live your life? Yes. I'm a huge movie buff. Okay, <laughs> I like lots of movies and um, I have a top two, both book and movie. Um, and I'm going to share both if you don't mind. My sure. favorite movie is the Shawshank Redemption. Oh yeah. And the reason I like it is not all of the things that happen in the movie although they're important, but the way that it ends and it ends with hope. Mm-hmm. And he talks about hope at the end. And I could, re- I could recite all of the lines at the end around the word hope. And I like it so much because hope is what keeps me in nursing. Hope is what keeps me at CHOP and hope, it, hope is what keeps me in pediatric oncology. And so um, the movie ends in a way that sort of has impacted me and reminded me that that word has been a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. In terms of books, The Nightingale is my favorite book. It has nothing to do with nursing, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if you've read The Nightingale, but it is the story no. of a young woman that leads um, Jews who are trying to escape during World War II over the mountains and to safety. Mm. And it is a young woman who has no support of her own and throws on boots and faces hours alone in the mountains to be able to rescue um, people and families um, from being placed in concentration camps. The book was impactful because she got no recognition in the book during her life. She did it because she knew it was the right thing to do. 
and it's just stayed with me mm. as one of my most impactful books. The Nightingale. I'll put that one on my long, 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 long list. And you're not the first person to mention the Shawshank Redemption. So really, yeah, yeah, it's you're a great movie. Second person to bring that one up during these questions. It's always fascinating to me what people <laughs> decide to mention. Now, here's the last question. You already mentioned your 18 year old self, so. This might be a moot point, but maybe there's something you'd want to add. And the question that I always ask my guests is, what's one piece of advice you'd give your 18-year-old self right now, whether you think she would listen or not? Oh, I love that. (laughs) Keith, I knew this question was coming, and not because I watched prior podcasts, but I just had a gut feeling it was coming. And I have... Um, advice that I wrote down on a piece of paper and I keep it on my desk. It's above my computer and I'm looking at it. It's advice I give myself every day. And I wish I could have given it to my 18 year old self. And it's a four part piece of advice. And it says, Cindy, never assume, over communicate with people, create systems for yourself that set you up for success and find your niche. Hmm. Would you read those again, please? Sure will. Never assume, over-communicate, create systems, and find a niche. Those are wonderful. And that's going to be in your next book. I'm sure of it. <laughs> you know, I that's one of those things I've been putting on the back burner that I'd love to get out there and write about. Um, as soon as I'm willing to share my motto. (laughs) And as some of my listeners know, I often like to give my guests the name of their next book or at least an inspiration for their next book. So there we go. Yeah. Well, Cindy Schmoos, thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. You're amazing. You're inspiring. And thanks for gracing the airwaves with all of your, your wonderful stories and insights. Thanks, Keith. I have enjoyed this as well. And it's been great chatting with you. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this awesome episode of The Nurse Keith Show with Cindy Schmoos, nurse practitioner, editor at the journal Pediatric Nursing, and so much more. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. And if you need holistic career coaching to elevate your nursing career, look no further than nursekeith.com. Shoot me an email or contact me through the website and mention the show to get 10% off your first coaching package. Consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith and leaving a rating review if you are amenable to doing so on whatever app you listen, where you find this show. Speaking of finding this show, we're proud members of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Check them out as well for many, many awesome podcast related to healthcare, nursing, and medicine. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappies-Beeson is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote, which many of you have heard before by the musician Robert Fripp. May my living honor my parents. May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith Singh. Adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And my friend and colleague, Cindy Schmoos, saying Arrivederci from... Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, my old hometown. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for being here. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side. Flip side.